0: Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to the Casual Combat Fan Podcast. After a three month hiatus, we are back. I'm so, so sorry for the disappearance. Um, I usually do a weekly podcast, discuss things weekly. We talk about, uh, usually the formula is we talk about the UFC event that happened that week, and then we talk about one championship, and then we talk about a third topic. That's usually free discussion in the realm of combat sports or martial arts now to start things off i'm going to address the disappearance the three-month hiatus is because after the new year i had some exams and after the exams i went ahead and um, went for an internship and i worked in the in the place and it takes uh, takes a lot of hours I also felt a bit burned out just writing down the script getting the talking points ready I wanted to try something else and I've been getting into other stuff aside from just watching you know mixed martial arts matches I've been getting into some other stuff that uh, I probably will shortly address in a later episode um, my interests other than combat sports, but basically that's where i've been that's what I've been doing, and it really took something special to get the gears going in my head and start thinking about making another episode of this podcast. Well, something extraordinary indeed because UFC two five nine was what inspired the the return. It it told me that it's time to get back into this. It's time to talk about this. It's time to start breaking things down. And it was really an amazing card. I think that it's the most stacked card in a long time. The fights are not barn burners exactly as they expect, but people often make that mistake. The the barn burners are are rarely the fights where it, it seems stacked because two people at the highest level wouldn't usually always give the best fight You know, you see the exceptions when Wei Li, Chang and Joanna went at it By the very same card you saw Izzy and Yoel giving out a snooze fest um, Two punchers of amazing magnitude Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis uh, I think one or two years back had one of the the, the worst matches in UFC history sometimes Styles make fights, and it's not about the top guy versus the top guy, and it will make, you know, a hell of a slugfest, but it's really about the style of the fighter, it's about, it's about the, the sort of the geography of, of, of where things stand, what their approaches are. And a stacked card doesn't guarantee a lot. I've been hearing that people were quite unsatisfied with how the santos rackage fight went, and um, the casual fans were quite disappointed well, not disappointed, but uh, openly bored at the Islam Makachev vs. Drew Dober fight. In a classic casual combat fan podcast, we're only going to discuss the co-main event and the main event. I do want to give the the, the title fight a shout-out for the Aljo. Aljo Sterling vs. Pyotr Jan fight. Um, very unfortunate for the knee. That's what happens if you don't internalize and, and know the rules by heart. Very poor um, guidance from the cornerman as well. I don't think it's. I don't think it's nefarious. I don't think it's something that's done with a sinister goal in mind. Uh, because Piotr was winning the fight, I don't think it was necessary for him to go the extra mile and illegally knee someone in the face when they're downed. So I think it's it's a, it's an honest mistake, but a very costly one. at That I think that Piotr was winning the fight. Pyotr was fighting like a champ up until the the mistake that really is unforgivable. We're not, we're not giving him any pass here, but you have to admit if you were watching the fight that if the fight had went on, Pyotr would most likely either get the decision or submit or knock out Aljo. The fight wasn't going in Aljo's favor. It was... It was Aljo just used up too much energy in the beginning, and Piotr was so patient, so dangerous, so lethal, so cold—very ice cold. It's it's like it's like a it's like a predator observing the prey, slowly closing the distance before finally pouncing and, and ripping the prey to shreds. Uh, not hoping that would happen to Aljo on the rematch, but it is what it is. I think that unless Aljo makes m- severe gameplay uh, game plan changes Pyotr's gonna take the dub he's just too strong too scary too methodical uh, too too cold too too scary that's a scary guy and then really um, he's, uh, he's someone who makes the bantamweight division really interesting we're looking at a lot of a lot of turmoil a lot of fun really a lot of um new guys scaring the hell out of the veterans at the flyweight bantamweight and featherweight classes where we're seeing some really really good talent rising up now let's focus on the co-main event it's going to be a brief discussion probably even briefer than the Aljo yan fight i don't think there was any doubt that Nunes would win megan anderson no disrespect she, she, you know—she fought. She stepped into the cage. She's a good fighter at featherweight. She's tall. She, I believe, is strong. But all that is irrelevant when you're faced with the one and only Amanda Nunes. There's not really you can do. Uh, I don't think it was a fight. It—it it, it was almost like—it was almost like an exhibition for Nunes just to show off. She showed off everything that made her frightening. That is, her ability to land a punch and just immediately sort of scare the living hell out of her opponent. The minute that right hand connects, you can see the look of shock and terror in her enemy's eyes. And if it's not shock and terror, sometimes you just get that empty look that shows that they don't know what hit him but it was really damn hard. Um, but aside from the punches, it also showed her defense. It showed the way she controls the cage. It showed her wrestling, or at least takedown ability. Her strength, her physical strength to take down someone taller than her with, a, with this awkward, lanky build. And it showed off her jiu-jitsu with this... Just beautiful sort of triangle armbar hybrid that that I, I, I haven't seen something like that in a while. The only thing that I could bring to mind that's similar is probably Gordon Ryan's uh, submission of... Um, I'm sorry, I forgot the name. But Gordon Ryan had a submission similar to that except the, the armbar looked more like an Americana. Um, but a very, very good... Well, not good. Good, it's an unshame, a very dominant performance. It's almost effortless or easy. I feel sorry for for Megan, not only because I think it's her, um, it's a it's a loss for her. You know, she she no longer has the title. I feel bad for her because I think they're gonna ax the division. They're gonna get rid of the featherweight division, the women's featherweight division, just because there really isn't a lot of fighters at that division quite yet. Um, i hope i wish them well in their endeavors i hope that they would be um they would be you know they would find a place to fight i haven't really looked into which organizations exactly have a featherweight division for women but if they do find one i i i certainly believe that even though they're all you know crushed by nunez once they enter into another organization they would have a better opportunity of showcasing their skills and their expertise, their ability to handle the the violent nature of the sport, because Amanda's just too much. She's a cheat code. She's this unrelenting tank. This this pressure giver, almost like what Habib was. If you looked at Habib's opponents, you would think that they were scrubs. Um, McGregor looked poor against Habib, but then again, so did Dustin. Poirier and so Gaethje—that's what happens when you're faced against a tough opponent. But what happens when when these people who are at a at a at a slightly lower level—I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't exactly call them bums—they're elite level former interim champions. You know, Gaethje, Poirier, former champion, Conor McGregor. When these lightweight guys fight each other, you start seeing their skill sets. They're like amazing with their kicks and their punches and their defense and their movements and their motion but you don't see that against someone who is so one-sidedly dominant a tank like Habib and I think that's the same with a lot of Amanda Nunes' opponents I i saw Holly Holmes last fight I forgot, I, I forgot against uh, whom against but Holly Holmes still got it at 38 she, Holly Holmes has got amazing kickboxing ability I stand by it, she's really good even though, you know, her, you know with her age and, and everything, her chin isn't all that it used to be. But Nunes crushed her. And, um, but you saw how, how um, Holmes was able to dismantle Ronda. But Holmes lost to uh, Misha Tate. Misha Tate lost to Ronda Rousey. So MMA maths do not work. But at the very least... The dominant fighters who are at the top of the game, they make everyone else seem like far less than what they actually are. You can see it too in the beginning of Jon Jones' career. Not so much lately due to the positions that he's been getting, the ones against Santos and Reyes, but if you were to see early on how he beat Shogun, who uh... How he uh, choked out um, Mishida, he was on And um, how he... Um, his debut fight, I forgot whom against, he, he had subpar, striking skills, but his wrestling was so good right then and there. And then of course, um, how he defeated Gustavsson the second time around. The first fight was close, the second not so much. Uh, how he beat DC the second time around as well despite the controversies just when you're up against that immovable force it makes people who are actually elite who could have been champions who probably were former champions it makes them look elementary and that's what Nuñez does I don't think there's a lot for her to, to explore. People are joking that she should go for the men's division right now, but really, there isn't a lot for her to do. And if they get rid of the featherweight division, she's going to have to go through cutting weight to make it to 135, which I don't think she enjoys the process of. I think she's very few fights away from retiring, and I feel happy for her because I think she should retire on top Even though Dana wouldn't like that. He hates it when people run away with the title. So they say, I think Nunez deserves it. I don't think she needs to take any more damage. Not that she has taken damage in a very long time. She doesn't need to dish out any more damage. She's got a family coming up. She's got loads of money. She deserves her time off. And I think that she's, in her head, she's already... She's still a savage fighter, but she's a she's a grown woman who's getting ready to to explore life after fighting. She had teased about retiring for a bit, but she hasn't really gone through with it. I think she would be a very interesting individual to see in the future because she's she's no she's not a draw as you know the way Rhonda and Connor were back in 2015, 2016. But she is still the most famous, I think, female fighter in the entire roster, and rightfully so because she is the best female mixed martial artists of all time. She is the best. not No contest, no competition. She beat anyone and everyone who was champion before her. What a monster. She deserves her time off. She deserves to do whatever it is she wants to do. I'm sure she has a lot she wants to do. Um, There's a lot, and there's a lot she can do now. She has the the resources for that, she has the connections and help she does for that. And it can be anything from starting her own business to taking a holiday in the Bahamas. She has the ability to do it all, so why step into a cage and, you know, beat up someone's daughter? (laughs) Repeatedly. I think she enjoys the carnage, she enjoys the violence, but after a while... There's a point of enough, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure there's a point of enough. People don't just retire after they've been beaten down. Some retire on top. Um, What else is there to say? I mean, Manna Nunez. who can stand up to her? The only person who has come close to her level of skill is Shevchenko, Valentina Shevchenko, who is currently... I think second or third pound-for-pound pound women's uh, fighter, and she is the champion of the flyweight division. And if, if Valentina were to go up to 135 and have a third fight with Nunes, she can probably take the win. But we wouldn't know that for sure. And right now, it's it's not a one-one for them. It's it's a 2 0 It's comfortably. Uh, it's, Nunez is 2-0, so even if Valentina pulls the win, they would be 2-1. So that would, you know, that would mean that a, a fourth match is in order. And what if, what if Valentina wins again? Then it's 2-2. They're going to need a fifth match. We rarely see trilogies, much less, you know, four quadrologies and five quintologies or whatever. I don't think you're going to see that. That's weird. And, and I don't think that either of them wants to take that fight. Why would Valentina Shatrenko sort of risk the, the, the role she's having right now, just crushing these flyweights, um, taking damage from flyweight fighters? That way she can sort of at least take a risk, <laughs> a tolerable amount of, of, of impact, even when she's getting hit, but she doesn't get hit a lot. But why would she go up to 135 and receive the full brunt of Amanda Nunez's force? And why would Amanda Nunez sort of jeopardize... She's not jeopardizing her, her her, legacy, but you know, why would she risk losing when there really isn't a reason to fight? I think that Valentina will need to forge her own tale. And unless she does the whole champ champ thing, then no matter how well she does in the future, whether she... Be, does become a champ champ or she does a John Jones style decade-long rule over her division it's not happening I see I see her being probably you know second greatest female MMA fighter of all time which is, is nothing to scoff at because early on the the competition pool the pool of, of, of female fighters are very few and the skill level isn't all that high but at this point there are freak athletes, genius high IQ fighters and to stand at the top of that heap is an accomplishment in and of itself. Now, um, I think that's a a fair assessment of the Nunes and Megan Anderson thing. Okay, and um, I think it's time for um, the main event. Sorry, I was blanking out. Um, the main event: Izzy versus Jan Blachowicz. Stylebender versus uh, you know the Polish powerhouse, Polish power, legendary Polish power. <sighs> I wish I would say that I'm surprised, but I'm not. I, for one, don't see Izzy getting knocked out by Jan. Just I think Izzy hates. Well. It's- I don't think Izzy would allow himself to get caught like that. I don't I don't think so. I think I think he would hate being knocked out over anything. He he the the Pereira knockout I think is, is, is enough for him. Not that you have a say in getting knocked out or not, but again my instincts were telling me that Izzy would probably not get knocked out. I also didn't think that Jan was gonna get knocked out by Izzy. But then again, I didn't think Costa was going to get knocked out by Izzy, so I was nervous about that. I was like, "What if Izzy stings? You know, Izzy's punches and kicks sting more than they should, and um, how would how would Jan deal with with the quickness and the precision of Israel Adesanya?" And thus, I assumed, I, I predicted that the fight would either end with a submission or the decision win and it went to the decision it was a comfortable win by defending light heavyweight champ Jan Blachowicz Polish power um, 38 years old older than Izzy by I think five years or six years and successfully retained the title that he won last year the title that he he won uh, the vacant title that he won against um, Dominic Reyes he, crushed Reyes uh, KO'd him in the second round and um, now he's defending the title against Izzy Littleweight Champ one of the best fighters to have ever been in the sport of MMA probably the best kickboxer right now who's active I I would like to say that on a striking aspect he is on par with the great Anderson Silva in his prime and not only that, I think he has slightly better defense than, than Silva. But, um, of course, Silva has a better ground game and, and all that. But just, too, you know, a middleweight potential. You know, he's a great already. He's one of the greats with his title defenses and his ability to perform extremely well. But... No one thought that Izzy was going to lose, I mean very few people did. That's why the defending champ of the higher weight division is the underdog, which is quite absurd because the, the, the weight would play a big role in all this, and Izzy was the favorite. He came into this fight 20-0, putting that O on the line, and uh, with how the fight turns out, 20-1. and 1. and. I guess there is a reason to feel bothered by the judges' scorecards. 49-46, 49-45, 49-45. I don't think the last round was a 10-8. I sort of agree with what Dana said. that 10-8 meant that you were getting your ass kicked. Like, 10-8 rounds would be what you would see. 10-8 rounds were properly given in the Holloway Cater fight earlier this year those are some 10 8 rounds alright but not this one then again I don't think it was a I don't think it was at a 49 47 I I don't think it was a I don't think it was a 40 what is it 48 46 I don't think it was 48 47 sorry 48 47 I don't think it was a 48 47 fight I don't think Jan only won three rounds Um, and people out there who are saying that Izzy won three rounds. You're, you're crazy. You're crazy. Jan won round four and five. Most people acknowledged and established that, but which amount of first three rounds did he win? Well, if you look at the stats, he outstruck Izzy in all of them. So, just from the impact and probably factors like cage control and, and activity and stuff like that, I would probably give the first... Or the third to Izzy, but either of them, like only one of those two rounds, because I f- I felt while I was watching, and and to this point I feel like Jan won four rounds. He he fought a good fight and he outstruck the best striker arguably in the UFC, like. You don't see a lot of kickboxers in Izzy's caliber who are very technical, very precise, and very scary in the way they fight. Old Conor McGregor sort of had that blade, you know, sort of elusiveness about him, but he depended on that knockout punch, I think, more than Izzy did, the the Conor McGregor left hand so I don't think he he falls into that category I think the only fair comparison to Izzy as far as just amazing kickboxer would be Steven Wonderboy Thompson at the at the welterweight division and Steven's okay very different too um, very different from Izzy because Izzy sort of has that refined kickboxing style that he brought over to MMA and made adjustments with and even though I guess concept-wise, it, it falls upon the premise of fainting, making the opponents miss, switching stances, getting in, landing, getting out, landing those precise strikes. Stylistically, Stephen Wonderboy by Thompson uses that, that karate stance, that bladed stance while he hops up and down and up and down and sort of has the bouncy rhythm going on that misleads you. I think the only weakness is that particular style is much more open to leg kicks than the normal say Muay Thai stance or the you know closer to boxing or kickboxing stance and we saw some people uh, exploit that, Darren Till I think um, Woodley went to the legs too, I'm not sure, but Darren Till definitely went to the legs Pettis went to the legs against Wonderboy and uh, that's the reason why Wonderboy needs to switch stances. Izzy switches stances sort of to 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 trick the enemy to get out of punching range to to reset i think wonder boy does that as well he's very versatile he also needs that because his style is particularly susceptible to leg kicks uh speaking of leg kicks leg kicks are one of izzy's greatest weapon his kicks in general are amazing his question mark kicks his 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 roundhouse kicks um you know those kicks hurt Costa. Those kicks hurt the great, scary Yoel Romero. Just um, but you notice that he uses those kick, uh, those kicks to soften up the opponents in the beginning. He uses that to take out their mobility, so that it also takes out their power, their ability to put power in their punches, and Izzy can now enter into range and start picking them apart that's what he did to costa that's what he tried to do to yoel but yoel never really had the you know yoel didn't want to sit and engage and eventually all easy did was just set up set up set up set up set up and and the leg kick won him the points um but those those leg kicks are, are are deadly and and you you don't realize it, but it takes the feeling away from your legs, it takes away your mobility, and suddenly your feet is hurting, you can't plant yourself, and you're, you know you have this scary, tall fighter in front of you who's going to piece you up and hit you really, really hard. What Jan did amazingly, and it's a very simple thing, was he ch- he checked those kicks. And while Izzy, with his sort of bladed stance, his, his hand you know, forward sometimes, is his guard long using that reach of his to sort of parry uh, jabs and detect strikes coming in, sort of push away if the enemy blitzes forward. With that stance, when Izzy switches stance, it's very flashy, you can clearly see it, but during the, the, the whole flow of the fight, Jan himself is also switching up the stances. And mostly, aside from the, the switch ups from orthodox to southpaw having, you know, a lot to do with giving the VV legs more longevity, you know, switching up the targets so that, not, you know, one one leg is not the center of all the destruction, of all the damage, but instead, you know, you switch it up at times and you don't get the same amount of, of damage, you, you keep... Uh, you keep yourself mobile, but aside from that, he uses that stance switch to set up a body kick. Uh, the body kick didn't seem to visibly hurt Izzy, but it certainly is something that could stop Izzy. In the sense that it stops Izzy's aggression, it it has a it has a, it has a an ability to to make Izzy think. His decision to push forward, the, the the power gives Jan the space and the the safety he needs because Izzy is the quicker fighter. I think Jan realizes that, and just because of how strong he is, Izzy doesn't uh, how strong Jan is. Izzy doesn't want to overcommit, hence. Um, giving Jan opportunities to counter more, giving Jan opportunities to initiate more and and not getting overwhelmed by this flurry of strikes. Another thing that Jan did amazingly and and what I think saved him from, from getting blitzed and pieced up by Izzy is the very thing the commentators were lamenting. People were talking about how Jan bit on each and every one of Izzy's feints and I understand how it would be bad for you to bite on a feint because the very nature of feint is that they mislead you. the problem is if you look at the fight and you look at Izzy, Izzy use feints very differently and for two effects. And I I may be wrong, but remember I'm a casual combat fan. I think he feints for two reasons. The first is to provoke the enemy. By feinting an attack, it would elicit a response, and the response is actually what Izzy is looking for, whether the enemy throwing a punch and leaving their chin exposed, whether it's the enemy sort of moving their hands to protect the area, leaving the, you know, leaving... For example, if Izzy's, like, feinting a... a a leg kick and the opponent's hands go down and suddenly his feet shoot up it's a question mark kick and now the heads open and um, the feint thus worked he does it for two reasons the first of course is to trick the enemy so that a strike would come in and the second is just as a barrier the same way I think he used it against Costa whenever Costa got too comfortable or too close is he would just very subtly sort of turn his, his, uh, his feet outwards, indicating that he's getting ready to do a leg kick and Costa would take a, take a step back. Feints are uh, another way for him to control distance. So he uses it as either a trap or he uses it to control distance. The thing with Ian, though, is that he's so thick and he's so big and he's smart. When Izzy throws a feint, he steps back. He gets out of range immediately entirely and he he sort of does this this i guess almost playground defense and it's actually i think you know a legitimate i guess muay thai sort of defense or kickboxing defense where he shells up with his hands and he and he leaves his lead foot upwards as he step backs this way wherever the kick is he's protected if it goes towards the head he's protected if it goes towards the leg, then he's checking the kick. And if it's just a feint, then he's basically getting out of range. So I think it's actually a very interesting thing for for people who, who would want to fight Izzy to observe in the future. This beyond the takedown, because people were saying, oh, now Izzy has been exposed, you know. But... Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that he wasn't excited about going to the ground. People just didn't know how well versed or well trained he was on the ground, how good he was because he he didn't want to go there, because he believed, you know, he's a striker at heart. That should have been the clue all at once that even though, say, he's not what a purple belt, the fact that. His striking comes first shows that there is a certain level of familiarity on the feet that he's more comfortable with than on the ground. It's it's nothing it's nothing new. And then don't use it like a revelation, especially when it's someone like Jan, who's a weight class higher. Because in spite of what the scales say on weigh-in days, we all know that they step into that octagon weighing very differently. And Jan, so big, so thick, so strong, really... Jan didn't need to be a black belt to just pin him there. He, he, you know, if he were a good, if he was a a good wrestler, he would he would have been able to do the same. You know, Jan was basically, uh, he, you know, he, Izzy was basically stuck with Jan, You know, at half guard, Jan passed it into side control for a bit, and then he returned to half guard. And Havgar's just great for ground and pound and then pinning him down, putting that weight on him. But but really, you sort of knew that. It's a given. It's a given that Izzy, the striker, wouldn't be very good. Wouldn't be as scary as he was as Izzy, the wrestler. It's like asking for a Khabib. Nurmagomedov to go on a boxing match or a kickboxing match, yes he is trained, yes he is able, yes he would beat the average person badly, he would beat an amateur badly, he would probably beat a low-ranked opponent badly, but it's never going to be better than his main skill, which is wrestling. Izzy's um, grappling will never be as good as his striking unless he completely wants to to switch over onto it. The only person I, I know that can make this distinction is probably GSP and John Jones. And and John Jones isn't a remarkable boxer, he's not a remarkable boxer, he's a remarkable mixed martial artist because despite his grappling background, his striking is very centered across his long limbs, his kicks, the oblique kicks, the stomping side kick to the the knee or to the body, the spinning back kicks, the the question mark kicks, the way Izzy does it, the, the elbows, the knees. Very few people can do that, I don't think Izzy's there yet, he's a maestro on the on the on the feet, but he's he's not there yet as far as grappling goes. And not only that, where there is skill discrepancy, he also has a strength discrepancy. So I don't think it's a fair assessment to make. We just gotta wait until one of these middleweights have the balls to try and take him down and see how Izzy reacts to that, because the only one we saw getting close to it is not Yoel Romero, the wrestler. It was Marvin Vittori, and the Izzy that. Vittori fought isn't the Izzy now, and the Vittori that Izzy fought isn't the Vittori now. They're both evolved as fighters. I think Izzy will need to go against a few other people, and Vittori, I think, will have to win one more before he gets the title shot. Um, not to mention, we have other factors, like Rob, Whitaker we have Till, we have Cannoneer. Izzy's got a lot of work to do in the middleweight division, though he's taken out a lot of them. Um, he... I see him returning back to light heavyweight later on. I think a few more title defenses down the line, you know, getting that confidence back, getting the the, the anti-grappling defense back. Um, But yeah, I don't think it's that shocking that he was getting dominated on the floor, rounds four and five. I would give any other two rounds to Jan as well. And uh, going back to my point, I think the more surprising thing is now you have a way to neutralize um, Izzy on the on the feet and it's very different from Gaslam's way of neutralizing Izzy which isn't really neutralizing it was just that both of them aren't used to fighting each other. Izzy's used to having a reach advantage but not that huge of a reach advantage. It's, it's almost confusing then because is so short and so stocky when he starts ducking his way into the distance and throwing blows Izzy's not used to it at the same time. Gastelum needs to work hard because he's so long and so tall and so lanky and so uh, so strong you know Izzy still if you look at his face after the fight Izzy still has never taken damage as much as he did in the Gastelum fight and um, very different things it's, it's a whole new perspective on how you fight against Izzy and the only thing you have to lose with this method of fighting is that the audience will probably hate you but it's, it's very similar to Yoel's style, which is to not engage when Izzy wants to. You set the rules of engagement to yourself. The, the, the whole thing is that it's, it's very different when, when things go that way. And I think that Jan did perfectly well in, in getting out when it's time. He just put his hand up, he put his lead leg up, just block every other possibility of attack and when it's your time when when izzy's not the one expecting it throw a nice stiff jab another great strategy go to the body i don't think izzy was hurt from the body by the body jabs i don't think body jabs really do that Um, do that much damage as far as each punch goes but it does extremely well to to just measure your range, it does extremely well. I guess mentally to let your opponents know that they're not untouchable. It's perfectly good to set up the head strikes. You know, you go to the body, you go to head. It's great for measuring distance. It's great to just throw it because it's it's harder to miss it. It's harder to dodge it. Um, and then another thing is, of course, Jan's lead leg. Body kick, um, which he which is his signature thing. I don't think it's a strategy that other people should necessarily um, adopt. But you know, how, you know, it's very good. It it does its job, and it does another perfect job of it. Has enough strength to actually have Izzy put his hands down. But yeah, I think the great revolution in in striking Izzy is the fact that one his feints. If you bite on them hard and you bite on them every time, there really isn't a lot that he can do about it. And uh, it's also a lesson to Izzy that if you faint, you gotta feint towards a target that they don't want you to hit. That way they move their defenses more intensely towards that side, hence leaving your actual target empty. With Yan, whatever his feints are, whether it's a kick or a punch, When Jan turtles up like that, puts his leg up, there isn't really much for Izzy to strike. And it it sort of wastes the opportunity. Uh, And also, I think, just Jan had amazing eyes, amazing reflexes for an old man. But yeah, the the first thing you need to have then to beat Izzy is, on standing, of course, aside from wrestling skills, while standing up, is to bite on the veins that's what you're supposed to do people keep lamenting that but he's the only one who you know jan was the only one who bit on almost all the feints and he came out winning why because he used it against izzy when he bites on all the feints and whether it's a feint or an attack if the defense is perfect and there really isn't a lot that izzy can do about it when izzy feints don't strike instead sort of go back pull him in another thing of course is going to the body and um I think the final one is to use the jab and the leg kicks better, but I don't think it applies for everyone. I think Izzy is so used to fighting middleweights who are usually significantly shorter than him. I think it would take someone with a similar build as him, or someone at least as tall as Jan, who's probably two or three inches shorter and you know much thicker, it takes someone with a closer reach to sort of really uh, play Izzy's game with him, those stiff quick jabs, The leg kicks, you know, checking the kicks, replying back. Um, It takes a certain someone to do that. It's like you wouldn't give DC Gustafson's game plan, and you wouldn't give Gustafson's DC's game plan, but Gustafson gave Jones hell that first fight because it's the first time Jones fought someone who's very similarly built with him, even though they're very different in, in skill sets. Um, so how do you beat easy signing up you bite on all the feints in particular when you bite on the feints you step back instead of stepping forward or engaging you set the pace on to yourself number two is you go more to the body whether it's jabs whether it's kicks and you know as much as I hate saying it sometimes you can do it not only for tactical reasons but for point reasons it gets you points it records your significant strikes do it and uh, thirdly check the kicks everyone knows that check the kicks and fourthly of course be a damn good wrestler um but uh, i think it's it's defense defense won this one defense wins championships defense won this one jan wasn't being an offensive monster he was being a very technical defensive genius in this particular fight he's 38 i don't see him you know being a dynasty kind of champion but I do hope that I do hope that he would become. I think he deserves to have a few more title defenses on his belt before he calls it a day. Um, I don't think he's gonna be, you know, a Silva or a Jones. But comparatively, he could be. He could be a, you know, he could have three or four defenses before hanging him up. I hope when he retires, it's not from a loss. I hope that if it is from a loss, I hope it's not a brutal one. He I know he has a kid, you know, a wife who's very loyal and very kind. Um I wish him the best. Izzy Izzy has a lot of chances to be great. He has a lot of things to do. I think he'll he'll come out his next fight looking more dangerous than ever. That's the type of person he is. That's the type of mentality he has. He's gonna I feel bad for whoever's fighting Izzy next because Izzy will be very, very, very keen on showing the casual fans who are doubting him right now that he is still the middleweight king and still the best, arguably, striker in the UFC. Um, I don't want to make this episode a bit too long, so this is going to be the discussion for today. It's, it's It's a bit long, it's a bit long, I hope it's fine. I really, really, really am committed to getting this podcast back on its feet, and for you who are watching this, I'm really grateful for the opportunity you're giving me, the time of day you're spending to listen to this. I want you all to hang on, because we're going to be making another episode shortly, Um, sort of a part two to to this one. And um, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk less about matches and more about specific topics. And it's it's going to be something that will get your brain worked up. And it's going to be something fun to argue, debate, talk about. That will be today's episode of the Casual Combat Podcast. The Casual Combat Fan Podcast. My name is Nathan, your host. And I wish you a very, very, very good day.